it. And welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Maria Cotto. I am the bilingual children's librarian at the Bataga Public Library and the chair of the Rhode Island Latino Books Award Committee. And my pronouns are her and she. And I'm Marta Martinez. I'm the executive director of Rhode Island Latino Arts. And uh, my pronouns are ella, she. Our first multilingual pronouns. That's exciting. (laughs) So thank you both for joining us. A little later in the episode, we're going to talk about Hispanic Heritage Month and what both Maria and Marta's organizations are doing in honor of Hispanic Heritage Month. But before we get into that, let's start off, as we always do, with what have you been reading? Um, I wanted to talk about um, some new and upcoming books written by different Latino authors. I run the Rhode Island Latino Books Award Committee. So right now we're looking for our nominees for 2023. And I've been reading up on picture books. And the one uh, picture book that stood out to me is called A Song of Frutas, which is written by a Putabilpere winner, Margarita Angle. And Margarita Angle is a Cuban-American author, and she writes books for all ages, including picture books and chapter books that include poetry, biography, fiction. But now this book right here, Song of Frutas, is a lovely story about the bond between a little girl and her grandpa who lives in Cuba. When she visits Cuba, she helps her grandfather sell fruits by saying out loud all of the different names of the fruits in a rhyme. And the picture book uses a mix of both English and Spanish, which is called Spanglish and something very much that I'm familiar with because I do it all the time. I start speaking English and I finish my sentence in Spanish. And that's Spanglish, very common among the Latino uh, community, especially here in the United States. In this story, uh, the little girl gets sad because she knows she has to return to her home in the United States. And we also learn a little bit about the restrictions between Cuba and the United States. And we also see throughout the picture book, these beautiful illustrations, very colorful and very very inviting um, images that give us a glimpse of what it is to uh, live in Cuba. So I highly recommend this picture book. I immediately fell in love with the book. especially because it's a story about the bond between a young girl and her grandfather. I don't think there's like a like a big collection of picture books about grandparents. And this one really uh, touched my heart. Um, and it shows how important our grandparents are, not only because he's Cuban, but also because grandparents have a lot of history and a lot to teach us. And um, we see that when we read this picture book and... Um, also about all the delicious uh, fruits and vegetables that our countries have. Uh, many of the things that they sell in this in this picture book are things that are from my country too, from because I'm from Puerto Rico, but you'll see it in, in the Caribbean. And um, very delicious. And um, it also talks about a tradition of eating the 12 grapes. What is that? What is that all about? What is that tradition of eating the 12 grapes? But I don't want to tell you the whole story because I want to encourage readers to go check this book out and um, get a little taste of Cuba and and what this tradition is all about. And that's my uh, recommendation. Sounds awesome. Absolutely. So that's just one of them. I I also have other ones too, um, like the Child of the Flower Song People. Uh, Luz Jimenez, the daughter of Nawa, and that's written by Gloria Amescua um, and illustrated by Duncan Donatiu. Um, um, Monica Brown, she writes uh, chapter books and picture books, and she just came out with a new picture book called Small Room, Big Dreams, Journey of Julian and Joaquin Castro. So there's a lot of good Latino literature out there, both in picture books and chapter books. A lot of these uh, authors do both. It's something that um, I encourage everyone to visit their website so you can learn a little bit more about these authors and what inspired them to write these stories and to give you a little taste of the Latin culture. 
I know when making the display for this month, uh, I had a lot more books than I expected. And I think it's a lot to do with the the Rhode Island Latino Book Award and us buying the winners Uh and the nominees of those awards. So it's been lovely to have kind of like this this guide that was created locally in Rhode Island um, to help guide our purchases. I know at least I find it really helpful. So. Good, good. I'm excited. And that's the whole idea, because once we introduce you to these picture books and chapter books, you start becoming familiar with the authors and and you'll be ready. You know, you'll be on the lookout for their next books that are coming out. And um, and then you'll you'll become familiar with them enough to be able to recommend them as well. So that's the idea. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to date myself a little bit because I remember when I first got involved in the community in the early 90s, 1990, 89. Um, there was at the at the Knight Memorial Library. They they had put together a Hispanic section, and that's that's when I kicked off uh, Hispanic Heritage Month in 1989. And I had I was trying to encourage everyone to celebrate it. And the library came forward and she just says, okay, where do we start? <laughs> she had no idea. And and then I don't know what to tell her because I also, you know, first of all, I didn't know that many Latino authors. And I don't, I'm not even sure at the time now, I, I don't know for sure, but I don't know how many were out there. I'm, I mean, I don't want to say that there were no Latinos or Latin American or Latin America, yeah, Latin Americans writing. They just weren't in the forefront. Um, and she had told me, the librarian told me, you know, I looked and looked, I can't think of anything. So what we came up with were periodicals. <laughs> That's as close as we could get, only because it was a quick turnaround. And so we've come a long way. I mean, look at all the books, as you just said, you mm-hmm. have so many books filling your shelves, right? And you have choices. And then Maria does such a fabulous job every year, bringing the the committee together and finding these books and just putting them out there. And it's not just the books and the fact that they're bilingual, but they're written by the authors who are themselves have a connection to the Latin American world. They may not have been directly born in that other countries, but they are of Latino heritage. And that's the whole goal of Latino Books Award is to uh, bring all of the authors up to give them some recognition bring them into the spotlight and if I if I may I'd like to tell you what I read so I I I loved um Sandra Cisneros she's a a Mexican-American author and I've always loved her work I'm I'm Mexican-American I was born in Mexico but I consider myself Mexican-American and I I'm sure that's why I gravitate towards her because most of her books I would say all of her books have a Mexican touch to them they may not take place in Mexico but they uh the traditions that she references, I grew up with. And so I reread this summer uh, a book called Caramelo. Uh, I read that a long time ago, I'd say 10 or 15 years ago. It's got it's called Caramelo. I've always gone back to that. Some of the, the descriptions of her family members and the traditions and um, how we are, we as Latinos are loud and happy and all those things. I just, I really connected with that description and particularly because there are certain things about being in the Mexican culture that are just so Mexican. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, Hispanic heritage or or that we always talk about as Latinos is that we're not alike. Um, we might have the Spanish language that's similar, but some of the little nuances that simple words and simple things that she describes are just so Mexican or so so things that I grew up with. And so I love her book. So I, I just reread that. Um, and the book that I'm dying to to get my hands on, is somebody pointed it out to me, it's called Martita, I Remember You. And that's my name, Marta. And that's why they pointed it out to me because it's Martita. And that's what I was called as a, as a child, Martita. And I read about it. And, and the thing that also Caramelo does is it focuses on, on an object. So Caramelo focuses around what, what she calls a rebozo, which is like a shawl. And then Martita, from what I read, it, it focuses on a letter. It's about a, it's about a woman. And she um, she's an artist. She, she leaves Mexico. She comes to the United States. And her goal is to go to school and become an artist. But she, she has a hard time um, acclimating herself to the U.S. She doesn't have money. So she's, she's not homeless, but she bounces from place to place. 
and um, she finds a letter. So it's another object. And for me and the work that I do as an oral historian, that's what I I use a lot is to to spark conversations and to spark um, memories. Right? You you bring out an object and and you ask the the narrator when I sit them down and talk to them to get their story an object. And so so um, Sandra Cisneros uses those things. Arreboso and and in the first character, uh, her name is Lala uh, in the book Caramelo. It's it's Arreboso and she uses that to trace her to find out more about this grandmother that that she remembers being very stern and very quiet and not 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 very friendly at all and and she she learns more about her through this rebozo that she has of hers and then martita's about a letter so letters are so important um and that she had forgotten about somebody hands it to her she puts it in a book but it's that that reconnects her to her home and to reminds her she came to the US and that that again that's so important when you're working in oral histories and you're helping people remember it's those objects and and the stories come out of that and uh and i i know sansa cisneros tends to do that too it's it's those objects that there's something about those objects in her own life that that she felt to write about so she she's my favorite author and i'm going to read that book as soon as i can get my hands on it Mastiga. yeah they both sound wonderful um so have either of you been watching anything interesting to pass the time? I just started watching America's Got Talent. Oh my God, that show was fabulous. It was my first time watching that show from beginning to end. It was sort of nerve-wracking at the end because there were so many great performers. So America's Got Talent is where... um, People perform, um, either a magician or a dancer or singers or karate, and they are all competing for the chance to win $1 million and a chance of uh, having a show in Las Vegas. And um, they give the show every Tuesday evening, and it just... You see all kind of different performances. Even dog. They, this year they had um, some dog performance where they were um, impersonating uh, actors and, and famous people, and they were dressed up like people, and it's totally funny. Um, but anyway, um, the show just finished. Um, the winner was a magician, and uh, even though I was excited for him, at the same time, just. I felt the same as the judges. There were so many others who were also extremely talented. I mean, we had a young girl in that show who was uh, 10 years old and she sung opera. And boy, did she do it very well. And um, there was also uh, these spectacular dancers. And it, it, I, don't, I couldn't even be, see myself sitting in that show and, and, and voting for, um, you know, being one of the judges because there's, there were so many talented uh, uh, performers. But at the end, the ones who vote are the um, the viewers. So uh, the winner gets picked based on the rules that the viewers, um, the voting that the viewers made. And it turned out to be the magician. But um, I highly recommend it. I mean, it was very entertaining. It keeps you... Uh, um, um, entertained and captivated and if you've never seen it go watch it I know right now they're um casting um new performers new participants and it'll come up again I'm not sure when it starts again I know it should be in a month or two or, or so on but um if you're looking for something fun to watch America's Scott Talent is it I've been watching a um it's I think it's supposed to be a murder mystery a mystery actually it's on Hulu. I, I don't watch a lot of television, but I just heard so much about this. It has Steve Martin and Martin Short. It's called Murders in the Building, I believe. And I think it's on its episode four. And um, I started watching it. I, I was just curious because I love those two together. I love comedy and, and I love Steve Martin. I love Martin Short and together they're hilarious. And uh, Selen- Selena Gomez is in it, which which was really what sparked my curiosity is like, how does she fit in with these two? These are two giants, right? Um, And she's a singer and she's, she's really holding her own. So um, I'm enjoying it. It's on episode four and and it's a mystery and it's about a murder. So I guess I'll call it a murder mystery. 
Um, I listen to mostly uh, podcasting, though. I don't watch as much television. And um, I enjoy every morning just tuning into uh, the StoryCorps podcast. It's short, and it's usually very upbeat. And it's, again, it it draws me because of my oral history work. It's it's a booth that travels around the country, and you could um, make an appointment and bring somebody and just ask them questions. And when it comes to the, the city, it came to Providence once. And uh, you can make an appointment and they tell you, you know, in preparation what to do, pick somebody who you want to talk to, what you want to learn about. And they, they guide you on what to ask. And, and then you record it and then they use it eventually. I remember when it came to Providence, several people um, recorded and we didn't hear it for almost 18 months later. But they do tell you when it's coming, you know, the Providence episodes. And at the time, I was just in the early, early stages of my oral history and they were curious about um they were just starting or thinking about a Latino story core of uh, series. And, and so they had asked me to do it. So I interviewed some people um, that I, I already had interviewed because I have a collection of oral histories, um, stories. And so I interviewed them and it was really nice because it was the first time, as I said, that they were looking into including the Latino voice um, I'm going to again date myself. It was probably around 20 years ago when they did this. And um, so out of that, they did start uh, a few episodes on Latino or Latin American StoryCorps. And it, I, I don't see it much, so I'm not sure what happened to it. But every once in a while, the StoryCorps itself, the episodes, they do feature, you know, Latin Americans. So what I I love about StoryCorps is that they're short. They're one minutes, two minutes. I think the very most are four minutes. And they're just very touching. It's family members interviewing each other, learning things. It's children asking questions to their parents. And then they they always let them reverse it. The parents ask them. Um, And then there are some touching moments as well in in terms of uh, some of the 911 survivors talk about their experience. Uh, once in a while, they have themes like that, hmm. um, but it's 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 just sweet. It's, it's StoryCorps pod, podcasts. If, uh, you haven't listened to it, you should subscribe. Every morning, they came up with a new one. I'm a bright and early riser, and so it's a great way to start on the right foot uh, before I I get into the real hard news of the day. So that so I, that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah, I've listened to StoryCorps do presentations before. I, one of them was at a podcasting festival that I went to, but I think they also did one for libraries too, like for libraries interested in recording oral histories and the way that they handle like interviewing and and their whole kind of concept is really interesting. But yeah, I realized that all the all the clips were like really short, so I'll have to I'll have to give that a try. Yeah, the other that that's what the beauty of them. They're short, and and I also imagine that's a lot of work because they need to get a lot of those to really fill like a day. They have a day long series of episodes, and they rarely repeat them. They they cluster them like I remember that library series. They came to the libraries, and they gave out. I think they gave out grant funds, and they encourage you to to interview. And they were in Providence. I, I do remember that. I think that the South Providence Library, the community libraries, hosted them. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Rhode Island Radio Online is the latest offering from Rhode Island Public Libraries. Roadie Radio is a weekly podcast that brings you voices from your neighbors around the state. Enjoy lectures, stories, and conversations with local artists, performers, experts, and scholars selected for you by Rhode Island librarians. You can find Brody Radio at roadyradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. When you're listening to Brody Radio, you know you're listening to something good. Want new books but don't want to leave your house? Borrow ebooks and audiobooks to read on your phone or tablet using the Libby app by Overdrive. You can even send and read your borrowed ebooks to your Kindle e-reader, US only. It's easy and free to get started for new users and a streamlined experience for current OverDrive app users. To learn more, visit cranstonlibrary.org or overdrive.com slash apps slash Libby. 
Well, I want us to have enough time to talk about what you both came here to talk about. Um, oh, before we get into it, though, and I know I didn't tell you this is a spontaneous question. Sometimes they come to me while we're chatting. I was just thinking before we even get into Hispanic Heritage Month and some of the things going on with that, um, I kind of wanted to establish for people who are hearing terms and and uh, and wondering what terms are interchangeable and what terms aren't. Um, that what the difference between Hispanic and Latino or Latina or Latinx is, um, if either of you wanted to. That is Martha. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's always so tough. Uh, So Hispanic was the original term. I mean, when we started lumping us, and that's basically what people felt, the Latinos, uh, people from Latin America felt that they were lumping us and and that generally it was. So Hispanic Heritage Month came about right around that time. And it was a time when I guess they they felt that they wanted to recognize Hispanics. And so the best way to do that without having to list all the countries, they came up with this name and, or this term. And and it referred to the Spanish language, Hispanic. And so that was it, Hispanic Heritage Month. And that name still, that's the official name. It still carries through. And then the word Latino. So this is, we're talking again about the 88. That's when Hispanic Heritage Month launched. And that was um, President Lyndon Johnson was just leading office. So that was right around there. And then as time went on, as we got into the t- t- 2000s and the two aughts, that's when it started to switch and people were becoming aware of, I don't like the term Hispanic. And there was a, a recognition or um uh, the people from Spain also didn't feel that that was right. So there was con- there were conversations among people from Latin America. And so the term Lat- Latino started to be used. And that was more embraced. And that was the young generation of the time, right? Late 90s, early t- 2000s. That was the young generation. They wanted to be Latinos. We're not Hispanics. And that's they felt that it was more encompassing. And then time went on. And... Uh, again, it's the it's the young voices, the younger generation. And as you, you know, look around you, there's more, um, uh, I guess, I don't know if I want to use the word acceptance, but there's more people that are, are being, uh, that want to be recognized for being more than just, uh, you know, the terms that we started off this episode, your, your pronouns, right? Um, and it was mainly the gay and lesbian and, and LGBTQ community that didn't want to be Latina, Latino, because Spanish tends to be gender specific. And there are certain words that are only have an O. And if you all know your Spanish, if you study Spanish, anything that ends in O tends to have a male connotation and that ends in A is um, female. So Latino is men and Latina. And then there's that that group that says we're neither. We don't want to be termed any of them. But if we're going to have a term, let's put an X. That, and I guess that was during Generation X. I'm not. I don't want to be quoted on that. But so now it's Latinx, and and that term is being embraced. But I should say that generally, people from Latin America, Central America, they don't. They really would prefer to be referred to as Dominican, Puerto Rican, Peruvian, Mexican. That's hands down. But again, I guess it's understood when you're trying to fill out something. It's just the way life is steered all of us. You have to check a box. And if you, sometimes they don't have this other write in, right? We've kind of accepted that. And like, I would prefer being referred to as a Mexican American at this point, because I've lived here all my life. Um, and I, I use my um, pronouns as ella. Latina to me is very descriptive. I mean, if you say Latina, it's very clear what I am a female. So, I don't particularly use Latinx for myself, but I respect that others do, and so I use it. So I know that's a long answer, but that's basically it. There is no answer. That's just uh, how how things have evolved, and then it depends on who you talk to. So you ask for the pronouns, and that kind of gives you a, a set a sense of of where they stand, you know, in terms of their identity. Yeah. So it's it's very tricky to answer that question without using up five minutes. (laughs) That's okay. I think it's five minutes well spent. People have asked me, well, what should I do? I'm like, just ask. Don't be afraid to ask. You know, you ask, what are your pronouns? You know, what what do you prefer? I mean, I would say Aya and and she, but 
if you ask me, I'll say, I, I'd like to be called Latina. Somebody else, I don't know, Maria feels the same way, but, you know, everybody, just ask. Don't be shy. I think nowadays it's okay to ask instead of feeling uncomfortable the whole time. Just ask. And when we make our, so when you make your exhibits, <laughs> I would maybe put them all. Like you make a sign that says it's, so it's Hispanic Heritage Month, but if you want to change it to Latino Heritage Month, um, Latino, Latina, Latinx Heritage Month. I mean, just use your, whatever you you want to do. I think young kids are now uh, learning. Those are the terms that we have. Now, instead of one, right, we went from Hispanic to all of these terms. It's like, now we have four. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, just whatever you feel comfortable with. You could even ask the kids to vote if you want to include them on how you want your signs around the library to look. Get the kids to vote. Yeah. So this started out being, so it's still Hispanic Heritage, National Hispanic Heritage Month. So when people ask me, it's National Hispanic Heritage Month. And then every state refers to it differently. And, and when, you know, I, I was the one who started it here, at least that, at least that I remember, because when I moved here and asked around, nobody had ever heard of it. And so I've just kept it Hispanic Heritage Month every once in a while. I'll put Latino Heritage Month. It just depends. So it's, it's okay to use, to use either, but our, our official celebration here is Hispanic Heritage Month. And then when we came up with this Latino Books Month, <laughs> it at the time it was, you know, that's when the word Latino was being used more. And it was Latino Books Month. Um, and it literally was a, uh, going to be a month-long celebration when I approached Maria. And I approached Maria because I had met her before and I just knew how I mean, I knew how proud she was of her Latino heritage. Um, and I guess at the time, actually, I'm pretty sure at the time, she was the only Latina librarian in Rhode Island. Was that right, Maria? Um, let's say 15 years ago. Yeah. Actually, 13 years ago. I've been a librarian for 13 years. And at that time, um, actually, it was just me and one other um, librarian, another Maria. And she was a school librarian. Um but then she left and um, we've had Latino librarians come and go. Right. Now we have, now we have about three, uh, um, one, two, no, four, with me, four. It's as funny, um, four, look at this, only four. and it's Only four, I had to count it in one hand. <laughs> and that's um, every year when we think about, okay, let's, let's, let's invite Latinos, Latinas to be on this committee. Well, we have such a hard time. And I always turn to Maria because that's really her area. And a couple of times I, I remember you saying, Maria, oh, no, I'm the only one, you know, or no, there's only two of us. And so that's that's kind of part of, I mean, there's so many uh, layers of Latino Books Award. And one of us is to encourage young people to become liber- Latinos, Latin American Latinx kids to become librarians. So, um, so, so it became, it was Latino Books Month. And it stayed that way up until this year. And I guess I'll let Maria address that. But it just, it was a month-long celebration. And it was very crunch. But it was just to get it kicked off, to get kids and parents reading together. So it encouraged parents to read with their kids. And so we provided books and eat that were bilingual, mainly. It wasn't just Spanish language or English language with, uh, you know, about places in Latin America. It's always been... Latino authors, and it was to encourage reading among, you know, literacy among families, and then just the kids themselves be able to pick up books. And it's evolved; it's really evolved. And I want to say, Maria has really been on the forefront of making it evolve and creating it the way it is, um, because of you know, it's it really shows that she is such a proud, you know, to be a proud librarian one and two a Latina librarian, and so she's really taken it to the level that it is now and you know I'll let her talk about how we change the name and what's going on uh what has been going on on the past couple of years and what's going on this year thank you Martha um and I just have to say that I get all of my energy from my reforma um, reforma friends reforma is a national organization that promotes latino culture um and literature and programs, and so much more. So when I attend those national meetings, I come back ready to share all of that information, all that I learned from them here to Rhode Island. Um, So yeah, like Martha had mentioned, originally our um, 
this book award had started um, back in 2014, and it was uh, celebrating Latino literature, um, which is books written by Latino authors for Latinos. Um, we are on our eighth year uh, promoting um, Latino literature, and we're celebrating Latino authors, illustrators, and books that highlight Latino culture and Latin American identity. Um, we changed our name from Rhode Island Latino Books Month Book Award to Rhode Island Latino Books Award because we wanted to encourage readers of all ages to read, read Latino literature um, all year round, not just in the month of May. So uh, Rhode Island Latino Art encourages librarians, teachers, educators, booksellers, and again, promoting books written by Latinos for Latinos. Um, and not just, uh, a lot of these books are in English, um, and some of them are bilingual in English and Spanish. So we want to encourage both. Um, um, we just recently, uh, at the start of September 15, announced the 2022 Rhode Island Latino Books Award nominees. Um, there are four categories. Um, there's grades K through second, grades third through fifth, six to eight and nine to 12. So we cover all grade levels all the way up to 12. And um, these are books written by Latino authors um, from Cuban, from Peru, um, from Dominican. So you'll, um, you'll find all a variety of different books on this book list um, from picture books to chapter books. Um, sometimes we include graphic novels, biographies, um, so there's a little bit of everything. Um, some of these authors are uh, new uh, first-time um, Latino authors. Some of them are um, Latino authors that have been around for a while. Some of them are book award winners. Um, so there's a little bit for everyone um, in this book list that we have provided. Also, we um, not only announced the book award nominees on the 15th, um, because it's in collaboration of Hispanic Heritage Month. But uh, we also uh, collaborate with the Feria del Libre y Artes de Providence. It's a Spanish book fair, which is provided by the Providence Community Library in collaboration with Providence College. Um, one of the things that we like to do, we, we don't only promote Latino literature, but we try to bring Latino authors to Rhode Island. Um, when we started doing this uh, two years ago, we would bring at least one or two authors um, to visit the schools, to visit the Rhode Island Children's Book and Author Festival at Lincoln School. Um, now with the uh, pandemic, it's been a little, little, little bit more challenging, so it's been going uh, virtually. And we have, are collaborating with the uh, Feria del Libro to bring two Latino authors. So this year we are bringing... Um, Emma Otegai, and she is the author of A Sled for Gambo. And we have also invited um, Naive Reynoso, and she wrote How to Fold a Taco. Como doblar un taco. And uh, the many ways that you can do that. Um, a very interesting picture book that'll get you going on how to eat your taco. <laughs> right, right, perfect time for his Spanish inheritance one. These um, interviews will be recorded, so you can uh, watch them at during your free time. And um, that's pretty much it. Um, it's a very, um, this is our second year working with Feria del Libro, so we're very thankful for their support and helping us um, in promoting, again, Latino literature and also bringing these authors so kids can say, hey, you know, you know, I met a Latino author and, you know, she's just like me and, and not only encourage them to read the literature, but also to maybe in the future become an author themselves. Um, we want to encourage that or even be a librarian, like Martha said, librarian. <laughs> I encourage because we are an arts organization and we really spotlight the illustrators. And, and it's really wonderful when we have two, uh, you know, a Latina, Latino author and a Latino, Latina illustrator. Um, so librarians, writers, and illustrators. And, you know, what I tell the kids is those are not always the professions that you 
you know, you think you want to do because, uh, you know, you always think of nurses, social workers, doctors, lawyers. But I tell them it's okay. You can you should go to art school. If that's what you want to do, go to art school and look what you can do. You be, you could become a book illustrator, right? And if you like to write, write. And look, it could be a profession. Now, these they're not easy, but when we present with them with those um, who have published books, those are the, you know, the kind of role models that we want to present. And the same with librarians. That's why I keep bringing up the fact that we don't have too many because I wish we could present more as role models. I mean, Latinos, Latinas. Um, but I, the first few years, um, I, I always like to highlight not just, and it's been difficult, but highlight not just the Latino authors and illustrators, but if they're local, even more so. So early in our um in the, the early years that we had this award, we had a local uh, illustrator, Cristina Rodriguez, who was who worked at, who studied at RISD and was working there at the time. And she was just so humble. She was so talented. And she had just come up with a book called Adelita y las primas verduritas, so Adelita and the Veggie Cousins. And it was um, it was a personal story. So she illustrated it, and she she talks about having put herself in it. Her 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 little self and her cousins in it when she illustrates it. And then um, another one who's local that we had on our list and we've had, uh, we had an interview with was Anika, Anika Denise. She lives, she still lives here. She's still, she's an illustrator um, and she lives in Barrington. So, and she's so one, both of them were so generous with her time. They were very humble um, and they were generous with their time because, you know, as, as you, as we spent some time with them, especially when I got to interview Anika, she talks about the what it means, what it takes to create a book. It's not like you sit down, draw a picture, you sit with an author and say, okay, that's a nice story, and then you put a book out. It takes years and years and years to do it and to, to come up with a concept and work with publishers and illustrators and all that stuff. And she always just seems so busy, at least as she tells us what her day looks like. But then she always is so generous with her time. She just loves. The one thing I noticed about Anika and Christina, they just love giving their time to children. I mean, that's why they illustrate books, because they want to, these kids to, you know, they want to make them happy. They want to bring joy to them. And, and what a better way to do it than not just reading a story, but the pictures, right? If you can't read, you can pick up their book and see the beautiful colors and the pictures and follow the story. But Anika and Cristina were both, uh, they, they just talked about giving joy. And whenever I, I organized or arranged for some kind of a community um, gathering with kids, they always make the time. Uh, Cristina moved away. She, a few years ago, moved to California. But while she was here, she was very generous with her time. Yeah, and Anika's doing very well, actually. She's doing really wonderful with her work. and. And Anika's one of, um, actually, um, her latest book, Anika, Anika Denise, A Girl Named Rosita, The Story of Rita Moreno, is one of the nominees for the 2022 um, Rhode Island Latino Books Award. And she wrote a book about Pura Belpre, too, which is which I thought was amazing. Because not too many kids know, you know, the, the one woman who kicked off the, the whole, you know, there's an award named after her, and uh, no, not too many kids know about her. So now there's a book they they can read about Pura Belpre herself that Anika wrote. Pura Belpre is the uh, first um, Latina librarian from the Bronx in New York. So if you want to read up on that, oh, is that the planting planting story? Planting stories, yes. All right, I've seen mm -hmm. the cover of that. The cover is beautiful. Um, so before we wrap up, I was hoping, Marta, that you could talk a little bit about Rhode Island's Latina Arts and how your organization is planning to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month this year. Rhode Island Latina Arts um, started in 1988, and it was called the Hispanic Heritage Committee. That's that's the seed of it. And um, we started off organizing the first Hispanic Heritage Month celebration, and we still do. The, that's our signature event. and, and we. You know, I never felt that when we had we went through a name change, it was very similar to what Maria described and what we decided with Latino Books Month. It was Hispanic Heritage Month, right? One one month it begins, it ends, and then we felt that okay, we're done, let's move on. 
And we kept doing that. And um, and I actually kept doing that because it started off as a, a volunteer effort. And I did have another job. And so that's really, and, and it's, it was run by volunteers. So that's really all we could handle. But as time went on, I just felt, I actually heard back from not just the uh, Latino community, but from the general uh, public saying, we want more. We want to learn more about who the Latinos are here, who the Latinos are. And um, we are, uh, it's our art and our culture who went, you know, bottoms down that defines us, that makes us who we are, that makes us who we are not, right? When we lose touch with our language, we feel unsure of ourselves because We've been told and we've been raised by a Latino family, but we can't speak Spanish. We all feel, we feel funny, but that's part of what Latino, what Latino arts does is like we really focus on bringing the whole, you know, bringing the, the idea that you don't have to speak Spanish to be Latino or Latina. And we provide a space. So Latino, Latino arts now has a space in Central Falls and we it's called La Galeria del Pueblo. And it's the first time that we had a space. We've been there four years. Before that, I used to work out of my dining room. Um, and then I had a little tiny office in Providence, but it's it's a whole space and it's right next to the Adams Library in Central Falls. So we have a good relationship with them. I'm not far from Maria either. I'm like two minutes from the Pawtucket Library. Um, but it's a nice space. And that's that's what I tell people. It, it does have a, a little visual art gallery on the first floor. And we're, we hold um, the oral histories that I've been collecting all these years. We do have an archive there of everything that I've collected, and we're 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 creating a website for that. But it's a, it's become a space where, as I just said, where where Latinos Latinas can come together and feel safe. And by that I mean they just just being around other Latinos speaking Spanish and not really feeling uncomfortable, you know, because that's what I that's what we all understand when you walk through the door. It's just let's just celebrate who we are. Let's not get all caught up with, oh, you said that wrong. Let's speak Spanglish just, and then some of the, like the same reason I enjoyed reading the book Caramelo, it's just the, our customs where we start talking about, oh, look, you know, this is how we say this. And and it just becomes a wonderful place where we do that. So out of that space, we've had a lot of spoken word has been created. We've written a couple of bilingual play scripts. Music has been produced. We uh, bring together different artists that you never would, would have thought to put together. So we we brought in a, a drum percussionist, Jesus Andujar, who's a very well-known, wonderful drum percussionist, and Orlando Hernandez was a tap dancer. We put them together, and the, the music that they made with its percussion, so when you listen to tap, it's the same rhythms that you get with Latin drums. And so we put them together, and now they be, they're, they're, they're not an official team, but they perform together, and it's just so wonderful, right? Um, and so that's really what Rhode Island Latino Arts does. It, it's, uh, it provides that opportunity for Latinos of all ages to come together. And we promote the Latino, Latin American, Latinx, Hispanic culture. And we allow us to call ourselves whatever we want. And we allow, our, allow ourselves to um, share our art and culture, not just with um, the broader community, but with, with each other, because there's a lot to learn. You know, I don't know a lot about Honduras. I don't know a lot about Chile. I know the, where they are. I know people. But when we come together, it, we just learn. It's a place to understand who we are as this homogenous Hispanic, Latino, Latinx community. And we kind of start to celebrate our differences as well. So, again, another long answer, but that that's that's, mm-hmm. who, that's who we are. And so are there any events that people should be looking out for for this coming month, for Hispanic Heritage Month? Yes, we just had our kickoff. So we've been having an annual event called Sabor Latino, which is a taste of Latin food, Latin Latin taste. And what I like to do is highlight all those things. So we had an event last yesterday, and we're going to hold it every Sunday from 4.30 to 6 at La Galeria, which is at 209 Central Street in Central Falls. We have somebody who teaches bachata, so we have like a group bachata class outside, and it's all outside. It's the first time we've been able to bring people back to the gallery because the weather was gorgeous yesterday, and, and I'm hoping that it will be. So we had some a bachata jam session, so he just he just taught you how to dance bachata by yourself, and, and that was one section, and he does that for an hour and a half. Every, half, every 30 minutes he starts up. And we had four vendors. We, we have a Peruvian, a woman who sells Peruvian retablos. 
We have somebody who's Colombian who sells jewelry. We have empanadas, skateboard art. So it's it's a pop-up tiendita, that's what we're calling it. So we want we don't want people to think that they're coming to this huge festival. It's the it's it's small, but it's our way of sharing our artists, giving them a platform. So it's all local homemade art. You're not gonna find anything that was created in mass quantities. Um, it's all one of a kind art and it's made by Latin American artists and it's all Rhode Island based too. So it's local Latino art. And, um, that's what we have every Sunday until October. The last one is October 10th, I believe. So Hispanic Heritage Month, in case those of you don't know, it runs from September 15th to October 15th. And, um, a a quick lesson, the reason why it's called it was first called Hispanic Heritage Week because there's a one week where there's a crunch number of Latin American, Spanish-speaking countries that celebrate their Independence Day. And it starts with September 15th, which is Guatemala, and then the 16th, which is Mexico and Chile and Honduras, and it moves on. And then uh, it's extended until uh, October 15th. And I, there was a way of wanting to include Spain um, on, in October 4th. Spain celebrates, uh, for, I'm sorry, October 12th. But they extended it like a full month to the 15th. So that's why it's we have that month where we celebrate all of that. Um, so so that that's it in a nutshell. And then we also have an, um, a gathering, with, we call them platicas, which is what I describe when we get together as Latinos and we just talk. And it's called Café Recuerdos. And we brew coffee, um, Latin American style with good milk and uh, sugar. And we use the press, the hot coffee press. And we serve coffee and eat uh, Mexican pastry or Latino pastry. And we just sit around and talk. It's just a platica. We just chat. And uh, the next one is coming up Thursday, the, the 30th. Uh, and that's what we're personally doing. And um, and then we promote everybody else's. There's a lot going on statewide. Maria's having a couple events that we put up on our website, the, the Providence uh, Community Libraries, which is part of the feria that Maria just meant is on our website. Uh, the Rhode Island Historical Preservation Commission has been doing an event every year. Um, this, if you go on our website, you'll see what, what others are doing to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month. And if there's anything you want to post, anybody out there, you can sign up. Just go on our website, just register it, and we'll put it up, and that will get people. It'll it'll promote your event, but it also um, just it shows what you're how you're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month. So there will be links to uh, Rhode Island Latino Arts and the Book Award info in the show notes. Um, So if you want to find out more about any of that, links down in the show notes for you to explore. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where I ask a library or bookish related question um, just for us to talk about to close out the show. Um, so I thought I would ask both of you, what author, alive or dead, would you like to meet and why? There's so many. <laughs> um, let me see. I guess for me, it would be Monica Brown, because the Latino Book Awards has been around for a couple of years, and her books have been nominated quite a few times um, throughout the past couple of years. And I just... Um, I love how she uh, does a little bit of everything. She's done uh, picture books. She does uh, uh, chapter books in series. Um, and she, do, she does big chapter books. And, um, and it's not one particular subject. You know, like right now, one of the nominees um, as for the 2022 World and Latino Book Award is Sharuko. Um, Peruvian archaeologist Julio C. Tello. So that's a biography picture book that she just recently um, published. Um, But then she has this uh, chapter book series about this young girl who's a um, that plays soccer and is all about um, promoting the Latino culture and um, the love for the sport of soccer. Um, And then there's chapter books that she does as well. And um, I would be interested in meeting her because. I love how she introduces us to a little bit of everything. And um, and um, this particular book, Sharuko, is about Peru. And um, I, I just fell in love with the culture because she is from Peru herself. So I would be interested in meeting her and learning more about that culture. Well, you got me there. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because the first name that came to mind uh, is probably one of those that people would never imagine I would say. 
but it's Daphne du Maurier. <laughs> She's a, a mystery writer. And I think that, you know, every time I, I, like earlier on, I talked about that show with Martin Short and Steve Martin, and it's about mysteries. And I think that's what draws me to a, a lot of what I do, whether it's reading or watching movies or shows, it's just anything that has a little mystery that gets me thinking and wondering. It's almost like a little scavenger hunt. I do love scavenger hunts. Um, and um, and she had some great books and that were turned into movies. And so I, I did both. I read the books and I later saw the the. The movie, um, I think one of the early books and movies I remember is called Rebecca. Um, and they come out with a, even a, a modern version of it. But my grandmother used to love and watch uh, all the old movies. And I, I used to spend a lot of time with her. And Daphne du Maurier had a lot of the movies come on. And so after, as I was growing up watching these old black and white movies with my grandmother, I I picked up her books later on when I was able to, and I enjoyed them just as much as them. So it's it's the mystery of of life and of how she puts together all you know the clues, and it's it's really your traditional old fashioned mysteries. So I I like her. She's a, a English writer, and uh, I think she was from the forties, I believe, the nineteen forties. But yeah, that's that's a that came popped right into my head, and I and I just can't say anything any other author she's 1930s is when she she was alive love a good mystery <laughs> and and I kind of like don't tell the questions beforehand to get people's like kind of like right off the top of their head answers so right off the top of your head answers are totally fine so thank you both for joining me um, and thank you everyone for listening if you want to reach out to us here at Downtime, you can do that by sending us an email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. And if you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. StoryCorps is short. I heard some feedback. Did you hear that? I did too. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know either.